<laughs> they said we need gravitas, so we'll have Mark speak last. And, uh, because I bring that sense of gravity to the situation. And, uh, I, you know, uh, the first time I shared, uh, uh, Michael was sick, and uh, he asked me to, he said, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to share. He said, would you share? I said, well, yeah, just give me your notes. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, so I started looking at his notes, and it felt like David putting on Saul's armor. And uh, Mike said, just, he said, you just teach whatever. And so um, as I got ready to teach, I was really nervous. And, uh, and the Lord said, have fun. <laughs> You know, most of these guys, are you never going to see them again. Have fun. <laughs> if you make a fool of yourself, it's fine. You know, you just wear a different name tag next year. And uh, so I, normally I, I introduce myself as Dennis Call. And, uh, and that, that way if it goes south, you know. Uh, I asked Dennis this year, and, and several people said, Dennis, we love ACM, but we just wish we had a bigger, like a gym, so we can walk and we can work out and stuff. And Dennis woke up in the middle of the night, and God said, I got it for you, you know. I'm going to set the meeting room 7.3 miles from your room. And I've walked more this week than I've walked in 2015 combined. And, uh, and I appreciate that. Oh, it's done me good. Yeah, yeah. I've, uh, I've dropped two pounds. And, uh, and I appreciate that. Uh, worn out a pair of shoes. And uh, so, you know, it, it's been good. I, uh, I enjoy, I, I, seriously, ladies, I really enjoy you being here. Um, because as, as you were introduced, uh, they were talking about, you know, it's Robert and Sue. And I always f seriously feel like my name is Mark and, you know, because it's, it's Mark and Tacey. And uh, it's just, it's neat. For me, it's neat to have you here and have Tacey here so I can show her off to all of you and, uh, and then let her meet all of you. And um, you know, it, it's pretty neat because as you well know, her reward is going to be great in heaven. And, uh, and not just hers. You know, you find out stuff about guys when you, when you meet with them regularly. I, I, I noticed this the first time I was at a pastor's conference with my father-in-law. And that's when I found out something about him I didn't know. He was in the bathroom, and I heard him brushing his teeth and singing at the same time. I thought, man, this guy is, I mean, he is talented. So I went around the bathroom. He's got his teeth in his hand. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul. <laughs> I didn't know he had false teeth. <laughs> he was like... <laughs> So you find out stuff about guys, you know, uh, and I look around the room and, you know, there's guys that I've slept with in this room and I, Gordon, uh, John Norton, uh, uh, Randy Reinhardt, you know, and, and it's good to get everybody together in a situation like that. This sainthood thing, though, you can't just, it's not just Tacy. When we get to heaven, we're going to be standing in line. And God is going to give an entire universe to Heather Davenport. <laughs> and he's going to say to her, well done, thou good and faithful servant. <laughs> you have suffered much. 
and the glories are nothing to be compared to their suffering or however that works out. Uh, you know, the planning committee this year was, was really, it was kind of different because Philip wasn't there, uh, Brett wasn't there, and uh, I was sitting there, you know, watching stuff go on in the meeting, and, and this topic actually was like, it was just something that was in Kevin, and it was the kingdom of God. It is un... It, and we, we always kept going back to East Stanley Jones, you know, the unshakable kingdom and the unchanging person. And he was just, you know, actually, we would have called the conference the unshakable kingdom and the unchanging person. Uh, but, of course, we had to give it to the spin doctor, uh, Brian Emmett. Now, <laughs> Brian, unredeemed, would be that guy on Wall Street that spins events, you know, in such a way that you have no idea what really happened. Uh, where are you, Brian? There we go. Brian Emmett's the most dangerous speaker I know. You know, you're just laughing. He's painting pictures and you realize he's infected you with a virus that is about to take over your operating system. And, uh, so we're, we're sitting around and we're talking about the unshakable kingdom and Dennis and, and uh, Andrew are talking about details. And uh, uh, Randy Cottingham is constantly cutting through the crap and getting down to the bottom line. And John and Matt are coming up with ideas and I'm going, well, holy, where did that come from? There wasn't a sacred cow they didn't go after that weekend, you know. Beer and pretzels for communion. No, we can't do that. <laughs> Postmodern communion is not beer and pretzels. It was just, you know, keeping, I don't know how you keep a lid on these guys. I shut out. Woo, boy. Oh. Anyway, it's, uh, it's always good. And I, I, the first time that I taught, I was teaching a room full of strangers. And uh, this is the sixth time that I've taught, and there's not a fr there's not a row that doesn't have two or three friends in it. And uh, I just I really appreciate this. There's something when it says, "Behold, how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together." That's God saying that, you know. Not only when He created the world did He say, "Man, that's good," but when brothers dwell together in unity, God says, "I like that," you know. I like those people. And I just really have sensed this weekend the delight of God over us. Haven't you? You know, when we talk, there's just the delight of God uh, over us, which is just, it's just awesome. Awesome, awesome. Um, I was going to show pictures of my grandkids, but I thought I'd forego that this year. But www.bestgrandkids.com. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, and you'll see, no. <laughs> um, one quick, one quick announcement is we have a friend in Charleston, South Carolina, who is in need of some, like, like help. She's, she's, she's got a brain tumor. She's going to have surgery. She just needs, like, some logistical help. If anybody knows anybody in Charleston that might be able to help with that, if you could please, raise your hand, babe. If you could please let Tacey know, that would be, that would be really great. I was so excited, though, Kevin, when you got, when we were talking about the kingdom, um, because the kingdom of God is the theme of the ages, and the kingdom of God is rooted, and it's reaching, and it's and it's risking, and um, and and that's what I I want to talk around. 
Because the kingdom of God, first of all, is rooted in God himself. He is the king, and I've said this before, but the kingdom without the king is just dumb. You know, you gotta have the king. And there are groups out there working on the kingdom, but the king isn't involved. And the thing that's so real about God is that God doesn't rule the kingdom from afar. He rules the kingdom personally by his person, his very person. I noticed that with, with my, my kids as they, as they parent the two most adorable boys in the world who unfortunately have 23 of our chromosomes in there. And so they're hard, they're hard to manage. And, uh, but when, when my kids were little, I, I tried to rule from afar with my words. Drew, Sarah. I'd snap my fingers and I expected them to stop. And my kids rule with their person. They, they get on the floor. They, they engage them. They're looking at them face on. And God rules his kingdom with his person. And we miss that if we think that God is ruling the kingdom simply by precepts, even though the precepts are eternal and are true, but it's his person that brings them. And, and that brings us to the first point for me, the, one of the reasons the kingdom is rooted is because, and Ern Baxter taught, I think we were in where? Kalamazoo and Ern taught on the king, the kingdom, and the Holy Spirit. Do you, do you remember that? that? Does anybody remember that? Dan Emmel and I were gone nuts as Ern was talking about the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform that. You know, it, it, the kingdom, you know, is rests on his shoulder. But the, he said, the kingdom of God, Romans 14, is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And he said, the, you can say, and clearly it's okay, and, and it's accurate to say the kingdom of God is in the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then what? the kingdom of God has come upon you. So the kingdom of God is in the Holy Spirit. And when, if we spend our, if we're oriented around seeking first the king and his kingdom, then we're, we're, we're focused in the right direction. If we try to separate, you know, whether it be social justice or, or whatever it is, separate that from the king himself, it's always amazing to me that, that a lot of us, at times, we think that we're more compassionate and merciful than God is. Have you ever, have you ever had somebody, and, and you're just praying, and you're just saying, oh, Lord, you just, I love this person so much. And, but what you're really thinking is God's going to do something in this situation, and, and I just wish he loved them as much as I did. And the reality is, is that every one of our love and care for someone is simply a reflection of the father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its nature. And that if we being evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more? As a grandpa, you notice I've worked this in pretty good, the whole grandpa thing. As a dad, I learned a lot about God as father. As a grandpa, I'm learning about God delighting in us. And you know what it's like to know that God delights in us? He likes us. You know, I've, I wrestled, wrestled, that's a Michael Cook term. I wrestled with the Lord um, about uh, who, how I'm made. You know, I said, Lord, I'm just complicated. You know, why couldn't I be a lot simpler? And, and I came to realize God made me that way. 
He, he likes me that way. So anyway, the kingdom of God is in the Holy Spirit. Now, the, the thing... <laughs> Uh, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. Right? God's is a merciful, loving, gracious, totalitarian, absolute dictator over his kingdom. He is. And one of the first things he confronts us with with his kingdom is the myth of my non-negotiables with God. Anybody ever had non-negotiables? As the great prophet Meatloaf said, I'd do anything for love, but I won't do that. Have you ever had those where you think you have a non-negotiable with God? Uh, God's loving totalitarian rule, maybe you don't like that. God is, I mean, do you ever know Jesus is unashamedly involved in reclaiming the universe for the king. I mean, that's, that's what he's doing. And I love that song. It's so sweet, you know. He won't relent until he has it all. Isn't that sweet? <laughs> I wish he would relent sometimes. But he doesn't. He's constantly pressing, pressing, pressing. In, because he wants, in order for the kingdom to be to be extended, it has to be rooted, and in order for us to participate in that, he beats down all the doors in our soul so he can extend his rule inside of us so it expands our capacity to be able to participate in what he's doing in the earth. And if we don't yield to that, the kingdom of God is inexorably moving towards a glorious climax. Our participation in it is a whole different thing. There's a big difference between destiny and Satan's evil counterfeit, fate. Fate, I always think about poor Oedipus, you know? He got this prophetic word said, you're going to kill your dad and marry your mom. That's not a good word you want to hear on Sunday, you know? Thus saith the Lord, you're going to kill your, mom, your dad and marry your mom. And uh, so he moves away. And, you know, he's, he's out of the deal. And then one day he wakes up and realizes that he killed his dad and he's now married to his mom. That is not destiny. That's not kingdom. That's not biblical. So when you talk about our destiny, it's not inevitable. The kingdom's inevitable. Our participation in it requires us to follow hard after it. Charles says the kingdom of God is not for the curious. It's, it's for the seekers. It's for the people that go after the kingdom and for the privilege of apprehending that for which we have been apprehended in him. And as an individual, as a family, as a community, as a larger group, our destiny is found as we pursue the king, knowing that he has a, 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 a place in mind. It's important, I think, for local communities to realize that the goal of the church is not the church. You know, we get off track if we think the goal of the church is the church. The church is not the goal of the church. First of all, the goal of the church is to be presented to Jesus as his precious, cleansed bride. So Jesus himself is the goal of the church. 
But the minute we start thinking that, that, boy, I started preaching here, didn't I? The minute we start, I'm meddling now, I, I got to tell you. But the minute we think that everything we do is important because of how it affects the local community first, we, we, we're missing what that is. And you know, the goal of the kingdom is that every knee should bow and that Jesus all the kingdoms of the world would become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and that Jesus then can take everything to the Father, that God could be all in all. So the, the, the goal of the kingdom is that everything's restored to the Father. The goal of the church is that we be presented to Jesus pure and holy. The church is though, the church I believe is the, it's the nursery for the sons and daughters of the kingdom that God then sows out into the world. And that's what we do in our families. And that's what we do in our communities. Frank Dawson wrote a, a poem for Tacey when she married me. It must have been his second poem because his first one was, Lord, what in the world are you doing? But the, the second poem was, I raised you not to retain you, but to release you. And he released her to me at 18 um, because I was, had it all together. And, uh, but the other thing that Ern used to talk about the kingdom is that the kingdom of God is the government of God, you know, and uh, God obviously uh, rules over his government and we don't like the word government, government, um, and we don't like the idea we didn't vote him in. When you accepted Jesus, that wasn't you voting him in. That was you capitulating, you yielding. You bowing the knee and you saying, yes, sir. Believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess what? Jesus is, say that real loud. Jesus is Lord, King, Sovereign, Absolute Ruler, uh, whatever he wants to be. And that's what we have to be rooted in. The kingdom can't be one option. Uh, it, it has to be big. I'm preaching to the choir, but um, the second thing in, in all of that about the kingdom being rooted is Peter tells us in Second Peter, the kingdom of God is eternal. It didn't start 2,000 years ago because it, the king himself is the kingdom and the kingdom is eternal. And as I've been thinking about that, I realize, I think about all the things that aren't eternal. My hair was one of them. Uh, had a lot of it, was proud of it. Uh, don't know why, but I was proud of it. And uh, it immediately, I realized that it, it had a shelf life. And, uh, and I, it, it was a lot shorter than I thought it was. And, uh, but if you look at things like nations have a shelf life, the kingdom of God does not. Uh, cultural expressions of the church have a shelf life. The kingdom of God does not. Um, God's involvement in certain political parties and activities has a shelf life. God's kingdom does not. And, you know, something with a shelf life is going to have a point where it's no longer viable. And to be able to recognize that and let it go becomes pretty important. Remember Budweiser uh, had a commercial about skanky beer? Remember that? It was beer that was on the shelf beyond its, its date. And there's, 
You go into bookstores sometimes, there's some skanky church stuff in the bookstore about the church and about God, and you're thinking, oh my gosh, this stuff is sitting here rotting on the shelf. People that are, here's the thing, never build a shrine to anything that has a shelf life. Never build a shrine to anything that has a shelf life because Peter tried to do that. Lord, let's build a shrine, this experience. But that experience, have you noticed experiences kind of have a tendency to, I love the, the picture in, the, in the, the, the little film where the guy was sitting there and, the, and the, 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 you could see the experience getting farther and farther away. And, uh, and yet we build shrines to that. And I remember the day, and it really was disturbing when I realized that I'd become one of those guys that liked the way we used to do things better than the way we do things now. And because uh, I was always the counterculture guy, you know, I was always the guy making up stuff like Matt and John and coming up with crazy ways to do church. And then one day I realized, you know, I don't, I don't think I like, I think we need more Bill Gaither in our worship service. <laughs> you know, I love Bill Gaither, you know, something beautiful. I think we should sing, there's a sweet, sweet. See, that, that rocks my world. And then one day I realized that had a shelf life for the church out there. Now, it, it doesn't for me. I'm a closet Bill Gaither fan. And uh, when nobody's around, I'm back listening to, you know, Bill Gaither. And, uh, I ran into a song of his the other day called I Am Loved. And he has a phrase in there. He wrote this over 30 years ago. He said, the one who knows me best loves me most. What a, what a revelation. You know, he really touched on something with that. The unshakable kingdom, the unchanging person, Jesus. Now, the second thing, that's just rooted. I mean, that's the Reader's Digest version. Uh, but uh, the second thing is reaching. Now, when I first started thinking about reaching and sharing that, at IOM, with all of you guys that travel a lot, and I have to dig through the bottom of the drawer to find my passport, dusted off. My picture's so old, I had red hair the last time I had a passport. And so I'm thinking, how can I share about reaching? And I started actually thinking that I kind of felt like a pair of brown shoes in a room full of tuxedos. You know, George Noble, do you remember him saying that? You see, when you wear a tuxedo, you don't normally wear brown shoes. It's just, it's not as funny when you have to explain it, all right? I've never lived more than 30 miles from where we're standing right now. The brothers I've been with, we've been with for more than 30 years, and we're growing fat and old together, and we like it. It's... It's our lot in life. The lines have fallen to us in good places. You know? And the lines are expanding in places. You know? And my coffin is going to have to have a, a skylight in it if I keep going. But, but I think God can work on that. But Eric was sharing about 
how many Christians there are in the world, and it stirred something up in Tacy because we can't get our head around five billion. But the reality is if every one of us got in our heart, the people in our sphere, and a couple people that dearly need God, you've all heard this, and we gave ourselves to prayer and gave ourselves to paying attention, looking for opportunities, I mean, that's, that's real simple math. You know, you don't have to be high math guy to figure out that if, if every believer in the world today led one person to the Lord in their life, and then uh, those people did by the time with the growth of the curve and all that, then, you know, the kingdom's done. And, uh, but the reaching thing is, is important. Um, and I, I, I want to say something, and I don't want this to be a corrective because I, I'm, I don't, you know, I don't have, I, I, but you'll understand what I mean in a minute. God doesn't call us to reach categories. He calls us to reach people that are in those categories. And I think Eric was saying that. The, maybe the trajectory is toward a people group, but the kingdom is to the people in the group. And, you know, you, you don't go home at the end of the day like, like he shared and said, oh, we've got the, the gospel in the language of every people group job done. It's the individuals. And I hear people say things like, well, you know, God calls me to the business community. And I just would like to tweak that a teeny bit. God calls you to the people in the business community. Well, God's calling me to the gay, lesbian, transgender, go whatever bathroom you want to go into people. And the reality is, no, he's calling you to the people in your life that that's a reality to. Can you hear that? It's just, it's a teeny, dist- I don't want to, I don't want to correct that. And people can correct me if you want, but uh, God calls us to reach people. Now, <laughs> The thing that I noticed is there are some people I'm not sure that even God could get to. You know, you look at these people and they're hard cases. I got relatives like that and they're hard cases. So I've been trying to find a theological basis for this thing that God started birthing in my spirit. And I, and I, I went to the Hebrew and, and I went to the Greek and I went to the Latin and I went to the philosophers and I went to the psychologists, the sociologists, all the ologists. And I finally came up with the thing that expressed what God is kind of revealing to me about the seed of the kingdom of God, deep spiritual truth. And, and if you have a problem with my vocabulary, you all have dictionaries, but it goes something like this. Ain't no place this seed won't grow. Ain't no place this seed won't grow. Look around the room. There ain't no place this seed won't grow. You've heard the stories of some of these guys and you think, God, how'd you ever get this? How'd you ever save that person? There ain't no place this seed won't grow. You see some hard case guy walking down the street and you need to start to say, you know, there ain't no place this seed won't grow. Because you see these pictures of like a, 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 a granite uh, cliff and there's a tree growing out the side of it. You know, we got a tomato plant growing up in the cracks in our sidewalk. And, and, and we got real tomatoes out of it because there ain't no place that seed won't grow. And the seed has life in it and it will go, it will take over, it will grow 
any place. And remember, I talked about this a couple years ago. If an acorn drops onto a sidewalk, it bounces off. But if the acorn gets planted beside the sidewalk, in the battle between the sidewalk and the acorn, the acorn always wins. Because eventually it's going to go down deep and its roots are going to just pop up that sidewalk. And we all have people in our life. There's times when your kids start making decisions that are kind of hinky, like the ones you made when you were their age. And you're thinking, God, how are you going to bring them back? Just remember, there ain't no place that seed won't grow. And we need, smart people always have more confidence in the seed than they do the soil. Because the seed has all the power in it. The seed has all the life in it. So, there are people groups. There are categories. There are businesses. There are, you know, whatever. But if the kingdom of God is in the Holy Spirit... And it is. And if the Holy Spirit is in us, and he is, if the Holy Spirit is moving inexorably towards uh, all the kingdoms of the world becoming the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, then there ain't no place that seed can't grow. Now, the thing about, you know, seed, and and I'm an expert on seeds. Um, I'm a lot like, Matt and I are very similar uh, in this. because on TV, this guy came in and he, and he said, and it was only $9.99, if you buy this 10-foot swath of seeds and it's about a foot wide and you water it, it will take over your yard. The seeds will just explode. So me being a seed expert like Matt, and I could buy the second one, for only shipping and handling, I bought two of them. <laughs> I'm that old guy sitting with a remote in one hand and his credit card in the other. <laughs> one o'clock at night. You can trim your hedges, pluck hairs, and it'll be a battery for your car for only $19.99. So I buy this roll of seed and I laid them out there and I watered those things. Man, it looked like right after Noah closed the door. I mean, it was amazing. And I went after that thing all summer long. And I'm proud of those six flowers that came up. <laughs> they were very precious to me. Um, and, uh, and I think next year I, I might try something else. <laughs> um, the thing in our little garden about planting is, is if you plant a lot of seeds, then something's kind of bound to grow. And, uh, and so the seed doesn't just get sown once, and the seed gets sown again and again. And um, we have people in our lives that they hate Christians, they hate the church, uh, politically, anything that just even smells like Christianity they're against, but they love my wife dearly. And when crisis has come in their lives, that's where they want to be. They want to be around her. And they want her to pray for them. And they want her to be involved in their lives. Um, Because when he talked about the kingdom seed, it's our lives that are the kingdom seed. And I got to tell you something. If you live next to or work with someone that's not a believer, they need to beware. Because you are infecting them and they are in trouble. 
and the kingdom of God will go after him. And uh, Robert was sharing uh, last night about the train. And, and I found out something about the Lord. God has already bought everybody's ticket for the train. He's not going to move that train until everybody he knows that wants to be there is there. But he's bought everybody's ticket. And he's waiting. And he's patient. And understanding the seed and, and the reaching of the seed um, becomes pretty important. <laughs> I had this friend, and he was talking about his church, and they were upset because the church was growing, but it wasn't their target demographic. You know? And they were irritated, you know? We were after the millennials, and we got old people, you know? It just wasn't our target demographic, you know, which I think is, is kind of humorous, you know, because Peter had a target demographic. It was the Jews. And God had to put him in a trance, speak to him three times, and then immediately afterwards, before he had time to think about it, have people knock on his door, and the Holy Spirit said, go with them. And then God had to interrupt his preaching, so he filled him with the Holy Spirit because that was God's target demographic. And he did that so he could go back to the guys and say, God, it wasn't my fault. <laughs> I'm serious. The Holy Spirit just fell on them, and I said, what can we do? We got to baptize them. So it wasn't their target demographic. Paul had a target demographic. It was Asia. And as he moved through Asia Minor and he wanted to go into more of Asia, God said, no, you know, don't go, don't go, don't go. And Paul, he's about as bright as, as us sometimes. After the third time, he said, I got it. And so God spoke to him in a dream and said, you know, in 2,000 years, I'm going to convert Vladko, so I want you to come to Macedonia. And uh, God's target demographic was Europe at the time. Paul thought it was Asia. And uh, the seed, it has a life of its own. Have you ever noticed the kingdom has a life of its own? And it, even though it's going inexorably towards the purpose of God, it's not going in a straight line. God bounces all over the place. And then he starts connecting the dots and you end up with people outside of your target and suddenly you got a different target. And it's bad when we love our strategy more than our vision, you know? Because there's a clear distinction between vision and strategy. Strategies, you know, our vision is let's go out to eat. Strategies are, all right, well let's go here and let's take these people and let's do that. That's where all the dissension comes in is with the strategies. Everybody's excited about the vision you just need John and Yelp and, and you know, it, it solves all the strategy issues, you know. But we got to make sure we don't love our strategies more than we love our vision. And it's hard when you're standing up in front of people and you're speaking and you're telling them about your strategy and then have God change that. You know, well, I feel like God called me and, you know, I'm going to go to college. You see him next year and you're embarrassed. What are you doing? Well, I'm at McDonald's. And, uh, okay, so what are you doing at McDonald's? I don't know. God told me to go to McDonald's. Um, the kingdom, it, there's a flexibility in the kingdom 
that we need to pay attention to. Ain't no place that seed won't grow. Something to think about. If you have to make a choice, always bet on the seed. All right, the, th the last part is um, risk. And a risk, the kingdom and risking looks differently in the local community, uh, especially here in the States, you know, than it does uh, for some of the risks that, that some of you all have, have taken. Um, so, but I think there, there's three things, and you all have helped me you know, to come to these three things. The first one is risk seeing the kingdom emerge in new ways. Risk seeing the kingdom emerge in, in, two way, in new ways. I have a friend who's real conservative, and he considers anything that has to do with the emergent church to be a threat because he's so afraid that they're going to lose some stuff Stuff that has a shelf life. But we have to risk seeing the kingdom emerge in new ways. And if we are rooted in the kingdom, then the new ways aren't, they're not going to take us anywhere crazy. But it, it might tip over a few sacred cows along the way. And as I've gotten older, I find that I do have a little pasture and I do have, I'm feeding, I, I still, every once in a while I realize I'm still feeding a few back there. Um, <laughs> blessed is the man who recognizes the kingdom when it first appears. And to be able to see the kingdom as it's emerging. You know, the, in the preface to the King James Bible, I don't remember which guy wrote this, but he said, nothing is ever matured in the same time period that it's born. And I thought, what an interesting phrase. Nothing is ever matured in the same time period that it's born. And the thing that's hard, when, when, uh, when my daughter got married, she married a guy that, that has some of my characteristics. He's quiet and, and shy and actually he reads a lot of books and and so Sarah and her mom and Tacey and Millie were talking and Sarah said, you know, there's so much stuff that I love in, in Frank and I love in my dad. And Millie said, just remember, Sarah, you're not getting the 50 years married version. You're getting the year one version. And it was a good word because it, you know, in order to get the 25 year version of that man, then you got to live with him 25 years or with that woman. And nothing has ever matured in the same season that it's birthed. And it's important to be able to see the kingdom uh, in its form when it, when it comes out, even if it looks funny like some of us did when we were born. Um, the second thing is <laughs> we need to risk admitting that the seed grows and we know not how. <laughs> I've come to believe that I, I really think internally that if I can understand it, I can control it, which is a lie because we don't control anything. The, the kingdom and the seed grows and you don't know how it grows. And if you try to proscribe it, it it'll, it'll grow some other way almost just to spite you. 
And even with all of our experience and theological astuteness, sometimes the kingdom seed is growing and we know not how. And we got to be careful not to dig it up and dissect it while when it's just the ear and not the full grain in the ear. Remember, Mumford says, the only problem with dissecting stuff is it has to be dead to dissect it. So, and here's the last one, and this last risk is, is, is dear to my heart. Risk the intimacy of opening your life to at least one other person. This is part of our um, spiritual heritage that we have people in our lives that we trust and that we risk being intimate with. And uh, there is a risk involved. One of the risks is that, that I have to let you see the person I am, not the person that I want you to think I am. Um, but at the core of that is to risk being that vulnerable with the Father. The one who knows me best actually loves me the most. And praying the prayers you really feel, not the prayers you feel like you ought to pray. Being able to sit in the presence of the Lord with stuff undone and stuff not right and being able to rest in front of him. But for all of you, and I don't, you know, wherever you live, whoever you're with, whatever your situation, you got to risk the intimacy of sharing your life with one another. Because our destiny is corporate. Our, our, the purposes of God are, are corporate. Um, it is Christ in us individually and corporately. That's the hope of glory. And the thing that's amazing about God is he didn't ask us to relate to him from his sovereign, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent state. We meet God, and he lets us meet him in his weakness on the cross. God's vulnerability on the cross. God uh, laying aside all of those eternal qualities, becoming a man born as a, as a human being, and then yielded and naked and vulnerable and beaten, and that's the place that we, he allows us to meet him at, in this very intimate place. The cross was an intimate place. Communion table is an intimate place where we in our vulnerability meet God in his vulnerability, and God and man at table are set down. Amen? Thank you, brothers.